0: Serve God, serve all, inspire others. Praise God. I like that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about serve God, serve all, inspire others. That's uh, the vision here at Serve City. If you've got your Bibles with you here today, uh, I'd like you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, we're going to quickly read from verse 35. To 45. If you don't have a Bible and you do have a smartphone, there's this wonderful app uh, called YouVersion. You can download that and it makes available uh, all kinds of different um, translations of the Bible. Today I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Uh, so that's called YouVersion. You can download that real quick. won't take too much data. It should be alright. Um, but yeah, so Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. And it reads as follows. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher... We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten, the other apostles, heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. What we just read is, you know, um, Jesus and His disciples, they're pretty much just chilling, just taking some time. And two of His disciples that are pretty close to Him, they come to Him and they, in short, they make a request that when the Messiah, who these disciples believe Jesus to be, um, when He has finished all His work, He's going to restore the kingdom of Israel that was lost. That's what they believe, that's what they know, that's what they understand. And the request that they made to Jesus was basically saying, when you become king over all things, when you enter into the glory of the kingdom, let my brother sit at your left-hand side and and let me sit at your right-hand side. So effectively, they were saying, when you get power, give us power too. Amen? So in saying that, you'll find one thing about Jesus that when you read the Bible, he doesn't give very typical responses. He doesn't give exactly what you want even when he's telling you no, even when he's giving you a negative. It's not quite the negative that you would expect. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So not only does he essentially tell them, no, it doesn't work like that. But he tells them, it's not up to me, whoever you might believe me to be, whatever I have shown you that I am. It's not up to me to let anybody sit at my left hand side or my right hand side. It's not up to me. But the Bible says that he told them it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And if you pay attention, he lets you understand what that preparation is. What he shows them about how you gain power, the power that they want, the power that they think is theirs to gain. What he goes on to show them about how you gain power um, is that you gain it through a very particular service. And that particular service is humility itself. He shows them that the actions that they have to act out, the actions that they have to work, cannot be like the actions that everybody acts out and works. You see, in the world, the way that we do things is that if a man or a woman is up top, that person gets all the authority. That person gets all the glory. That person gets all the respect. In the United States, the man who's up top right now, regardless of whether or not he's getting respect, he's up top. So he has all the authority. He has all the power. And then... It goes down from there. But Jesus is showing them that it actually goes bottoms up. Amen? Jesus is showing them that the actual way to get glory or to get power is to exercise humility and to practice service. And service is what we're going to talk about today. So the path of progress that Jesus took to salvation... The salvation for you, the salvation for me, and the salvation for everybody that Jesus had agreed to save with the Father in eternity past. The, the, the path to salvation that He took was a, was a path of humility, and uh, the, the, the vessel of that humility was, was service. Alright? Am I, am I making sense so far? Alright. So, what we see throughout Scripture is that um, we see Jesus do all these mighty miracles, and we, do, we see Him do all these mighty acts, um, and all of these things are essentially to prove that He is who He claims to be. To prove that the Bible says that when He was baptized, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that was the voice of God. And in order to prove that He was who He said He was, He carried out His ministry according to the instructions that God gave Him in eternity past. And the final act of Him proving That who he was, was that after he died, he raised himself up from the dead. Something no one has ever done, something no one can do. When he was finished, he raised himself up from the dead and defeated death. Amen? So all of these acts that he did, he did them to show that he was who he said he was and to execute the plan of salvation that needed to be executed so that he could conquer his enemies once and for all. But if you look close at the things that he did, Each and every single thing was an act of service. One way or another, everything that Jesus did was an act of service. So he served God, he served all who were around him, and he inspired others to also serve. You you understand what I mean? Right? Everything that Jesus did was an act of service that would carry out um, the work that was agreed to be done by Him and His Father in eternity past. And He was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to act out that service, to act out that humility, to live that life. You understand what I mean? Um, I want to share an example with you about the profundity of Jesus' service. What we have to understand about service, about service the way that we're talking about it in Service City, about service the way that we understand in the Bible, is that service is for people. The only way that you can really serve God is to serve people. It's very good to be here and to worship. It's very good for me to preach. But if at the end of the day we're not integrating into society and getting people grafted in the church, we're not really doing anything. You understand what I mean? Everything that Jesus did was an act of service to either get people reintegrated into society or to get people to understand who he was so that they could be disciplined, follow his discipline, accept him as their master... And then live out that life of service. You understand what I mean? In the Old Testament, if you um, had any particular conditions, for example, if you had leprosy, the law dictated that you would be made, um, that you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Right? So when you're ceremonially unclean, that doesn't mean that you're a sinner. That doesn't mean that you sinned. That doesn't mean that you did anything evil or anything wrong. But to approach God while you're ceremonially unclean is evil. And to approach the people of God while you're ceremonially unclean is sin. So what they did when somebody had leprosy, according to the law, you had to be outside of the community until that uh, leprous infection was gone or until it was healed. And so now we understand about health and about medicine, that things don't always go away right away. You understand? You can live with the condition for years. As a matter of fact, Jesus came upon a man who was a leper, and it's evident from the despair that he came with, that he'd been out of the community for years, that he'd been out of the community for a long time. Because when he came upon Jesus, he said, Lord, heal me. If you will it, I know it can be done. And Jesus said, I will it be healed. And the man was so grateful. You understand? Yeah. There was another man um, who was identified as Legion. And he was identified as Legion because he was, a pe- he was possessed with 1,000 demons. And this person, too, was outside of society. The Bible says that he uh, lived in the caves. And whenever they tried to get control of him or bind him with chains or anything like that, You understand? He would break those because the demons that were within him were so powerful. So he lived outside of society and he was always naked and he was always looking terrible and everything like that. And when he came upon Jesus, Jesus cast those demons out and the people of the region from where he was, they came and found the man clothed and in his right mind sitting at Jesus' feet. I want to break that down a certain way. Because in our society, you know, we still have demons, we still have unclean spirits. But they all take different names now. These things are very real and they're very spiritual. No matter how much science we want to put to them, the science is good, it's great, it helps us understand. But the essence is that these things are spiritual. You understand what I mean? So Jesus now healing, or rather delivering this man who was filled with these evil spirits, what did he do for these two people? For this leper who was cast out of society? For this man who was possessed, who couldn't find himself integrated into society? What happened? What did he do by the time he fixed their life situations? He got them reintegrated into society. Do you understand what I mean? He was able to reintegrate them into society by the work of compassion that the Holy Spirit empowered him to do. By service, Jesus presented a way of humility. That, upon compliance with the Holy Spirit, the believer, in acknowledging who Christ is and what he's done for us, is able to follow and pattern, and act out. So the believer is you and me. You understand what I mean? In one way, shape, or form, Jesus has showed every single one of us here some sort of compassion. You understand what I mean? We who are born again, we know how little or how much Jesus has taken us from. We know what Jesus has delivered us from. We know what Jesus has spared us from. And we understand now that we are saved. We're born again. Our eternal destiny is completely and totally changed. Amen? We understand that things are different for us. And it is not sufficient for us now with that understanding to stay here in these four walls. It doesn't work. It doesn't equate. Jesus himself, he didn't have any four walls. Every time he went into the synagogue, he went there. The Bible says, according to his custom, he preached whatever scripture they gave him, and then he left. And he went out in the streets And he went out to the equivalent of the bars. And he went out into the equivalent of the slums. And he went out into the equivalent of all these terrible places that we wouldn't dare go to because there are sinners there. Because there are people doing things that don't line up to our lifestyle. You understand? He went to these places directly to talk to these people and to show them not that they're wrong, not that this, not that that. But that there's a God who loves them. Quite simple. Amen? In showing them that, their lives were able to be changed. Jesus ministered for three and a half years and not once did he do anything for himself except eat. You understand what I mean? With all the power that he, that he even the power that he relinquished, he still came with power. You understand what I mean? He, still, he was able to do so much for himself. He was able to manifest so much according to whatever he wanted. But he forsook his own desires. He cast aside the pleasures of that, uh, that he had when he was in the presence of his father. For what purpose? For you, for me, for everyone who was to be saved, for everyone who was even still a great way off, the Bible says. You understand? So... We now as Christians, as people who believe in Christ, I'm a firm believer that it's not sufficient for us to be very spiritual and do nothing to manifest the effects of that spirituality. You understand what I mean? I, I love that we worship and I love that we really get into it. and we, I love that we really have like a lot of spiritual gifts. But as long as that's all we're doing, we're not doing anything. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean that more faith is necessary or more works is necessary, but there should be a balance. The faith that's inside of you should strike you to act. you understand what I mean? The faith that you have should move you to act. The Holy Spirit who empowered Christ to carry out His ministry, who now dwells inside of you, if you obey Him, He will compel you to do good. He will compel you to have compassion. If you yield, if you open a way for Him, because the Holy Spirit doesn't push, But if you open a way for Him, if you make available by saying, Holy Spirit, I'm here, use me, you will find yourself carrying out acts of compassion. Very simply. And so we now, in response, we have to be able to manifest that type of service. The type of service that Jesus did to get people reintegrated to society and grafted into the church. Our reasonable response to salvation is to serve God, is to be unprofitable servants as we are, but Carry out that service anyways. So our priority, and this is going to sound weird, but it's scripture. Our priority is to believers and to non-believers. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So he's not specifically saying that people will know you're my disciples because you love everyone, because you love the world. But the specific type of love that the church shows to the church that brothers and sisters, that believers show to one another is going to identify you as people who are part of a very specific discipline. Do you understand? So the love that you show one another is what's going to let people recognize, hey, these people must be Christians. That's why they're treating each other like that. So in that, I want you to think, what do we do for each other? Not even like do, but do we like pray for each other? Do we think, do we call each other, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Can we be sincere? And that sincerity that I'm talking about is a sincerity that comes from, you know, just openness, just being comfortable around the people you are, are with. So are we comfortable with each other? If I call you and say, how are you doing? Are you just going to say, I'm doing great, man. How are you? you just going to give me that fake you know, kind of little, yeah, I'm good. All right. See you Sunday. Or are you going to give me, no, I'm struggling. Help me, pray for me. I'm really happy you called. Have we facilitated an environment where fellow Christians can do that with each other? Do you understand what I mean? So that's like our first priority. And, you know, I don't want to talk too much about um, giving food or money. You know, Jesus, he did that. He did that and he did that at one time more than any of us has ever been able to. Twice. He fed 5,000. Next time, he feeds 7,000. It wasn't a big deal for him, for me. Light work. (laughs) You understand? I don't want to talk too much about that because those basic needs stuff, we should be inclined to do that anyways. If I see someone who's hungry and I know what hunger is like, that shouldn't be a big problem for me. If it is, I've got way different problems and I need counseling from my pastor. Very, very clear. I don't know how that sounds. I'm sorry, but Hunger is like, it's regular, it's basic. Thirst, cold, nakedness, simple things. You understand what I mean? So that's not what I'm talking about with Christians. We should be able to do that anyways. If I see another Christian, that should be fundamental. But I'm talking about being able to, you have like a real problem. And you need someone to really talk to about that problem. You should be able to do that with your brothers and sisters in the church. Praise the Lord, but not only just your pastor. You understand. You should be able to cultivate a brotherhood, a sisterhood in the church. If we can't facilitate that, it's not even the church. And we've failed at carrying out what Christ has established. You understand what I mean? So also those outside. Other Christians, but those outside as well. I'll give you an example about how um, Jesus managed to inspire others. Because... So far what we've seen is that God the Father and God the Son, which is who we we generally call God the Father, God. So far what we've seen is that God the Father and God the Son, they had a plan in eternity past. And the, the, the Father decreed a thing and the Son carried it out. So he served the Father with his obedience. So what did Jesus himself do? Number one, he served God. Right? So, so far we've seen Jesus serve God. Right, and what else did we see him do? We saw him get people reintegrated into society and grafted into the church, so what did he do? He served all. you understand Jesus served all he served the the he served the leper, he served the psychologically disturbed whatsoever he served them, and he served the hungry and he served women, he served children, he served whoever was in need. He served all but It's when Jesus leaves the earth that we really see his capacity to inspire others take hold. Because Jesus, in going in the book of Acts, they're asking, are you going to restore the kingdom? Remember the Jews are expecting for their enemies to be overthrown. Their enemies at the time were Rome. They're expecting for the enemies to be overthrown by this great messianic king who Jesus has proven that he is by raising himself from the dead. And now they're walking with resurrected Christ. They're walking with Jesus. And they say to him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, don't even worry about that. That's not, I have work for you to do. And don't worry about me being here. I'm going. And earlier on, even before he died, he said, it is not profitable that I should stay. Basically, he was saying, if I stay, all the work that needs to get done can't be done. Because the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. And we understand that it was the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to carry out his ministry. And as long as Jesus was here, the Holy Spirit would be on him. But the same way that, I love this analogy that, you know, when you have a a kernel, you take it and you plant it and it goes in the ground and it dies and that's the end of that kernel. But upon death, it springs back up. And then you get corn all across the field. That's the same thing that happened with Jesus. So he dies. He comes back and he says, I'm going, but I'm going to ask my father and he's going to send someone. And he goes. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, instantly 120 people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. About an hour later, 3000 people give their lives to the Lord. And from there, it just takes over. It just goes crazy. Jesus is inspiring others. I'll give you a very firm example. There was a man named Philip. He was an evangelist. And he traveled places and he preached. The Bible says that one day he was walking on a road and he saw an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, a servant in the the court of the uh, emperor of Ethiopia, who happened to be um, in Judea at that time. The Bible says that this Ethiopian eunuch, he was sitting there and he was reading a book from the Old Testament called the book of Isaiah. And he was reading it and Philip the evangelist hears him reading the book and he comes up to him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says something very profound and very humble, because people don't talk like this these days. The man goes, how can I understand it if no one will teach it to me? You understand? Philip goes, great. So the Bible says that beginning with the book of Isaiah, Philip began to teach this Ethiopian eunuch everything leading up to Jesus. And he taught him so much so and so well that while they were walking on the road, they saw a body of water and in response to salvation, the Bible says that when you accept Jesus Christ, when you believe, the first thing that you're supposed to do is be baptized. And they're walking and they see a body of water. And this Ethiopian eunuch, he's explained and understands the thing so well and is so well convicted that upon walking and seeing a body of water, he himself says, what now is stopping me from being baptized? Do you understand? So now Philip, if you understand the history of him, he was one of the original deacons. Right? He was one of the original deacons who the apostles they were doing work in the church and you know they were trying to preach and they were trying to heal people and they were trying to do all these things and they found themselves doing a lot of administrative work too. They found themselves pretty much like feeding the church food and making sure that everybody had what they need, and they were like, This is not gonna cut it. If we cannot devote ourselves to preaching and 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 study and prayer, we're not gonna be able to do everything we need to do. So we need to appoint men. And they appointed seven men that they called deacons. And Philip was one of the original men. The criteria was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and had a good reputation among the people. And Philip kept doing his work and he kept doing and kept doing and kept offering his service and eventually he became an evangelist. Evangelist comes from a word from Greek that means um, to share the good news. Right? And he became such a man. And he traveled everywhere. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit would take him and he would share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit took him and he shared the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch became the first evangelist to Africa. You understand what I mean? This Ethiopian eunuch became the first evangelist to Africa because he had to go back to Ethiopia. He had to bring back the truth that Ethiopians were, were, were barely being able to hold on to for hundreds of years ever since the Queen of Sheba met Solomon. That's history, that's biblical history. That's, you understand? But they had an understanding of who the one true God was, but not a thorough understanding. And now this Ethiopian eunuch was able to go back to the court of his emperor and say, hey, all this stuff that we were half studying, it carried itself out, and this is what happened. And now I'm in it, and now we all need to be in it. You understand what I mean? So, this man, Philip, he was able to serve God and serve all, because what? The original man with the original plan inspired him. So we saw God, serve, we saw Jesus serve God. We saw him serve all. And Philip was only one of these people. There were many people like this. There was the Apostle Paul, who Jesus sent directly to the, the Gentile world Gentile meaning um, essentially non Jewish. So to Greeks, to people who spoke other languages and all those things. That man wrote most of the New Testament. You understand? Jesus inspired these men to the point of death. Most of the apostles, they died horrible. Only John failed to die a horrible death because they tried to give him a horrible death by boiling him alive in oil, but he survived, and they abandoned him on an island where he wrote the book of Revelation. Right? The rest of them were all crucified or beheaded. And, you know, it's like when people try and say, no, there was no real Jesus. There was no, you know, these men, these apostles, they're not, they're historical fact. You understand what I mean? History attests that, oh, these men were real. So, if there was no Jesus and this was all a fable, these men being historical fact attested by history, what would drive them to die? What would drive them to allow themselves to be killed? I'm sorry, that's a side note. You understand what I mean though? What would drive you to be so filled with passion about something that you will allow yourself to be killed for it? All the while saying, to quote Apostle Paul, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain do you understand we saw Jesus that he served all um, with everything that he had he served God with everything that he had and he inspired them by being that first seed he inspired them by being that first seed he inspired them by being the one to pretty much lay the work out if you understand what I mean When he laid that foundation, it's because of that, quite simple, that the rest of us are here right now. There's nothing else, there's no other way, but it's because Jesus was able to lay that salvation. So, to recap, Jesus served God by obeying him and going to teach the lost children of Israel. He served God when he went out of his way to help those who were not of his chosen people. We see quite a few examples of that. Um, for example there was a woman from a completely different nation she was saying Lord heal my daughter heal my daughter and he gave her an analogy that essentially said no I'm here for the children of Israel so chill and she exercised faith that moved his heart and he said your faith has granted you your request. go your daughter will be well so he served like all not just all in his community but all worldwide and he inspired others as well So he inspired others when the spirit that empowered his ministry led the apostles and evangelists throughout the world to share the gospel. So that was a long time ago, but guess what? The church is still here. So now what are we going to do? How are we going to carry out this same thing? It's our responsibility to carry out service in the same manner. You understand what I mean? We're here as Serve City, not because it's fun to be in church and lift their hands and sing praise and sing worship. But we're here because we have to serve this city. We have to serve God and honor Him by serving everyone in this city and inspiring others to do the same thing. We can make programs to feed people. We can present different types of um, care for marginalized individuals. I'm talking people who are left on the outskirts of society because they have some psychological, because they're a woman and they're not worthy of, forget all that stuff, all that's, forget that. You understand what I mean? We're here, with a church, and it's time for us to act. It's time for us to carry out what God wants us to do according to what he wanted Jesus to do. I'll give you another example. This ugly lady over here, I call her ugly because we're accustomed to calling each other ugly. She's my aunt. She's my mom's sister. Um, it's my ugly brother. It's my ugly cousin. He's crazy ugly. It doesn't even make... Okay, close your mouth. Don't do that. Whatever. You do. This lady over here, she's been teaching me the things of God for a long time. Right? And my aunt has always taught me the things of God. And she herself is a preacher. She herself is heavily involved in the... She's the head of the women's ministry at her church. And she does all that stuff. But what I believe about my aunt is that while she loves praise and worship, and while she loves to sing, and while she loves to be in church and preach, that's not sufficient. My aunt is heavily involved in social work. You understand what I mean? And I think... If I understand anything about her, that she does that because something inside of her drives her and compels her to see people get reintegrated into society and grafted into the church. And that's the essence of why she does what she does. And that's an inspiration to me. And that is the way Jesus does things. It should be an inspiration to the church as well. Amen? Praise the Lord. I hope that we can reflect on this and understand the essence of what it means to serve people. You know. The only real way because God is not here physically and we can pray to him and can worship him and all those wonderful things. But the only real way to serve him is to serve the people who carry his inscription. As all the world. Everybody is made in the image and glory of God. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that we would carry this heart, that we would carry this word, that we would walk with this, Lord God. I pray it for myself. I pray it for my house. I pray for my family, my friends. I pray for Serve City, Lord God, that we would be able to walk with an attitude, a mentality, and a capacity for service. That when we see those who are in need in any capacity, Lord God, in any way, that we would offer our service up to them no matter the consequence. David says, I will give to the Lord. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I pray, O Heavenly Father, God, that we will have the same mentality, Lord God, that even if it costs us, we will give. We will offer up our reasonable sacrifice as people who have been saved to eternal glory and eternal salvation. That we will be able to sacrifice some of the pleasures of this life, O Heavenly Father God, for the good of others, for the service of the Lord, and for the inspiration of those who are around us to do the same. Let God be glorified and let Him be lifted up. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus.